Order, order. A short but exciting week to end the year in the House. The country is pleased that it's been able to get a new Prime Minister with a stable government. With a stable government. The new Prime Minister, Bill English, and the stability of his government came under scrutiny from opposition leader Andrew Little in Wednesday's Question Time. Given he now has four ambitious amigos, three resigning ministers, two brooding rivals, who's going to rescue Nick Smith from the pear tree? The Right Honourable Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, the basic difference is this. We have 59 members of Parliament. And that is a great deal more than that member has. 27 more than Andrew Little's Labour Party, but still too short of the 61 required for a majority to win votes in the chamber. The challenge for minority government that Mr English addressed later in Wednesday's adjournment debate. People forget, because uh, this government makes it look relatively easy, it isn't, that we have to get votes for every piece of legislation that goes through this House. And I can assure the public uh, and the opposition that the respect that is maintained within this relationship uh, is based on the robustness of the discussions that are had in getting our solutions. And uh, the Māori Party Act and United Future have played a critical role in stable government and the stability of that collective was so ably demonstrated just in the last week or so. But 24 hours previously, one of those coalition partners had crossed the floor to vote with the opposition on the first bill introduced by National under their new leader. The Māori Party joined all other parties except National, United Futures Peter Dunn and the ACT Party's David Seymour in voting against giving a first reading on Tuesday to the Children, Young Persons and Their Families Legislation Bill, also known as Oranga Tamariki, which roughly translates as child well-being. And making the well-being of the child the top priority of state care was the issue that split the House right down the middle, with the Murray Party co-leader, Marama Fox, among those disappointed by the bill's half-measures. I thought we were putting the child at the centre. I thought we were listening to the child and making it uh, most important that everything they need is contained in their care and protection. But only when it's practicable or reasonable... Or appropriate. Marama Fox said there would be no treaty clause in the bill were it not for the Maori Party. And for some people in the uh, National Party, they might think that that would be better. But if 63% of Maori children make up the children in SIFs, if 63% of those children are Maori, if 71% of the children in prison, young people in prison, are Maori, we are the mainstream. The entire makeup, the entire structure, the entire rebuild of the SIFs needs to be done in accordance with Māori principles because what's happened is a systematic failure where even the, the Commissioner for Children said some of those children would have been better off staying in their abusive families than going into SIFs care. In fact, going into SIFs care has been detrimental to them, more likely to fall out of school without, without a qualification, more likely to be arrested, more likely to be incarcerated, more likely to be abused in state care. That is double jeopardy. We cannot repeat this, the tragedy of the past. 
We cannot have a new stolen generation by removing links to whakapapa in this new design. Marama Fox, the Māori Party's co-leader, was backed by the Greens co-leader, Materia Turain. This is a policy that they know will have its greatest negative impact on Māori children and Māori whānau. They know that it will mean that more of our kids are taken and more of our kids will be unsafe. And Labour's spokeswoman on children's issues, Jacinda Ardern, reminded members that the legislation they produced would be the guide to practice in the field. And if the legislation purposely omits priority around kinship care, which I have to add is not just a New Zealand principle as much as that we've grasped it, it is internationally recognised and evidence-based because it reduces trauma on children. It reduces harm done to children. It is child-centred practice. And the fact that it is being explicitly and purposefully removed from this legislation is something we cannot support. But the opposition was not all of the same mind as revealed by the New Zealand First Party's welfare spokesman, Derek Ball. If the tangata whenua, if the tangata whenua were so keen on looking after their children, why are they doing that now? Why aren't they doing that now? This is the reason why we've got issues in this country in regards to the care protection of our children. I think that the Labour Party, the Green Party and the Maori Party need to wake up come off their dream cloud and understand the reality of care and protection of our children. While Derek Ball's New Zealand First Party added their 12 votes to the opposition's total of 59 against giving the children, young persons and their families a Ranga Tamariki Legislation Bill a first reading, they and the Maori Party did support it being sent to the Social Services Committee, where it will be open to submissions up until February the 15th. That select committee was one of five to meet this week, and while the bill wasn't on Wednesday's agenda, progress on setting up the government department being created to administer it was, as Anaya Ahu reports. Officials from the Ministry of Social Development appeared before the Social Services Committee for their annual financial review on Wednesday, led by their Chief Executive Brendan Boyle. Joining me this morning is Gronya Moss, who's the Chief Executive Designate of the new Ministry for Vulnerable Children, Oranga Tamariki, so... Gronya's been with us just a couple of months, and uh, she and I, uh, I describe it like a, a sort of a short-term marriage, that we're together until the 31st of March, and then we separate, but Gronya takes the children. <laughs> There's been no pre- need for a prenup at this stage. Gronya Moss then brought the committee up to speed on progress in establishing the new agency. Uh, we're very far progressed in the setup of an independent advocacy group, and I do feel that having that key lever where the voices of the children um, you know, are there to hold us accountable and to tell us what they need and what they don't need is, is, is critical. So that advocacy group, I think, will be launching formally this week. Ms Moss said they'd taken a social investment approach in establishing the new agency. Uh, we've also consulted widely on the organisational structure um, so it was announced, the final structure was released on the 9th of December and we had over 1,800 submissions. Chief Executive Designate for the Ministry for Vulnerable Children, Gronje Moss, appearing before the Social Services Committee on Wednesday. That report from Anaya Ahu. And the Social Services Committee is not alone in facing a new year full of controversy. The Health Committee, already flat out hearing submissions on its inquiry into public attitudes to euthanasia, 
also has a new bill transferring decisions on fluoridation of water supplies from territorial authorities to district health boards. Submissions on that close on February the 2nd, while the Local Government and Environment Committee labours under the weight of yet another massive report. This one, a 500-page doorstopper on the Resource Legislation Amendment Bill, introduced over a year ago by Environment Minister Nick Smith of Pear Tree fame and containing long-awaited reforms of the RMA. Then there's other unfinished business, such as the recovery of the 29 bodies in the Pike River coal mine, raised in this announcement on Tuesday. Petitions have been delivered to the clerk for presentation. Petition of Dame Fiona Kidman requesting that the House note that 511 people have signed a petition requesting that solid energy be stopped from sealing the Pike River mine and that the remains of the 29 men be brought home if humanly possible. That set the scene for this question for the new Prime Minister from Mr Little. Will he come with me after question time, have a proper meeting with the families, look them in the eye and tell them why he is ignoring their pleas. The Right Honourable Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, no, because that would be falling in with the Leader of the Opposition's view that there is a political decision to be made which, which may involve putting New Zealanders' lives at risk in one of the most dangerous workplaces, as we know, in New Zealand. The core issue here is to respect the distress of the families but acknowledge that the decision about going in the mine is essentially one of safety, not politics, because that member would be the first to complain if more lives were lost because a politician overrode the law passed by this parliament. And the focus on politicians and parliament as their workplace sharpened this week with yet another MP announcing their intention to resign mid-term. Labour's David Shearer, who took over the Mount Albert electorate from Helen Clark in 2009, bid farewell to the House before the dinner break on Tuesday, admitting that being leader of the opposition was the toughest job in politics. And I can tell you without doing it, nobody knows quite how tough it is. Um, And of course, everyone around you is the world's expert on what you should be doing. So, Andrew, I wish you all the very best. I think you possess the personal qualities that this job needs. After that endorsement of Andrew Little as his successor as opposition leader, David Shearer revealed what had prompted him to leave Parliament. Mr Speaker, many years ago, some friends and I followed the Nile River on a boat down to Juba in the south of Sudan. And from there we paid a Somali truck driver to take us for four days across the south of Sudan into Kenya. At one of the stops we were in the back of the truck and we were peeling mangoes and throwing the skins and some stale bread we hadn't eaten over the side and a dozen kids below us were fighting we found over our rubbish. It's probably the the only food that they, they, they had that day. And it had a profound effect on me. It spurred me into humanitarian work around the world and I've been privileged to work side by side with some wonderfully dedicated people. So when I received a call a couple of weeks ago offering a position in the same region, I I didn't hesitate. It was, in many ways for me, completing the circle. My hope, as always, is that I can make something of a difference. And wouldn't you believe it, when I was in New York last week, I remembered I had a bank account there. (laughs) 
Among tributes to David Shearer was this one from the Attorney-General, Chris Funnison. Speaker, can I begin by acknowledging David Shearer, who I think is one of the nicest people I've ever met in public life and wish him all the very best for the future. Mr Shearer's departure, along with news of several more either leaving or thinking about it, prompted these comments from the former clerk of the House, David McGee. <laughs> well, there's been, there's been quite a bit of discussion, there's been some discussion recently about whether being a Member of Parliament is a job or a social calling. Uh, as a former clerk of the House, I'm firmly in the in the category of believing it's a social calling. Obviously, members need to be properly remunerated for the job that they do. But being a member of parliament should be seen as a par- public service, not as a convenient job that one can jump in and out of as one wishes. When parliament was first formed in New Zealand in the 1850s, resignations were very frequent. One member of parliament... Uh, a Dunedin member resigned from Parliament five times over the course of his career. Didn't seem to stop him getting re-elected each time, but it, it, it was quite a common occurrence for members to resign from Parliament. As the party system developed to, towards the end of the 19th century, resignation went completely out of fashion. It's almost unheard of for a hundred years. Came back into fashion with MMP. And it's now quite a frequent occurrence that members of Parliament resign their seats, usually on the list, before the end of the three years that they've been elected to. This Parliament, uh, slightly exceptionally, we're facing three constituency members of Parliament who are likely to have resigned before the end of the Parliament. A minimum of three. Uh, the member for North Northland, Mr Saban, who resigned early in the, in the Parliament. Uh, Phil Goff, who became the Mayor of Auckland, who resigned his seat. And now Mr Shearer, who is um, having an appointment with the United Nations, is about to resign his seat. Uh, So two years of the Parliament and three resignations from constituency seats. But it's generally been the case that list seats are the the seats that, that are resigned because they can be replaced effortlessly from a political point of view by the next candidate on the party list stepping in to replace the member. Or in, in at least one case that I can recall, not the less, not the next member on the on the party list stepping in, uh, the, that member was persuaded not to take the, the vacancy up by the party, and it was a member further down the list. Uh, so, uh, as I say, uh, in, since MMP, resignation from Parliament has become quite a frequent occurrence. Our Parliament has a three-year term, which is quite short internationally. The only major legislature that I know of that's got a shorter period of time than that is the U.S., House of Representatives, which has a two-year term. So we already have a short term for uh, members of Parliament to to continue to be members of Parliament. It's effectively being shortened even more by the increasing propensity of members to resign before the three years are up. I believe that reflects on the quality of the institution. I believe it reflects on the ability of members to do a, a proper job. I think, in a sense, uh, that it's misleading for members to stand and offer themselves for election to a three-year term of Parliament if they're going to quit before that those three years are up. If you don't want to serve three years as a Member of Parliament, don't stand for Parliament in the first place. And I certainly don't believe that sacrificing one's status as a Member of Parliament should be something that can be done costlessly without any political repercussions at all. So I believe that something ought to be done to try to stem the tide of this propensity for members to to resign before the three-year term of Parliament is up. 
And the way I would do that is by sending disincentives to members, but particularly to the parties of members, to discourage uh, the, the jumping ship in the way that we've seen since 1996. As far as list members are concerned, my solution is a quite a simple one. If a member of parliament, a list member of parliament, resigns, the vacancy is not filled at all. Members of parliament who are elected on a party list don't represent any any constituency, geographical or other. They may pretend to, but the our voting system does not allow any voter to make any distinction when voting for a party list about whether a member elects is representing him or her or, or any, any uh, geographical entity. So list members do not represent a constituency and therefore I see nothing uh, uh, objectionable to leaving a list vacancy in place. But in fact, if one s didn't fill list vacancies, I believe one would immediately stop resignations of list members because parties wouldn't allow it to happen. And it's not just a question of parties allowing it to happen, parties induce it to happen. There's a pressure for members who are not intending to stand at the next election to be induced to resign, especially in the final year of their term of office. This is sometimes put down as a sort of search for new blood. Well, new blood is uh, always a necessary thing in a, in a parliament, but we have three-year elections. There's a considerable infusion of new blood at the end of every three years, and one needs in a parliament a balance between uh, new infusions of, of members and experienced members uh, taking part in the parliamentary proceedings. I think we've tipped the balance too far the other way by effectively reducing the term from, from members from three years to two and a half. So for list members I certainly simply wouldn't fulfill the vacancy if a member chooses to resign. As I say, I don't believe list members would resign in the future if that was the consequence. For, for members who represent electorates, the, it is unacceptable to leave a vacancy unfilled because there is a constituency that needs to be represented there. We already have a rule that vacancies occurring in electorate seats within the, within the final six months of a parliament are not filled. I think that's open to some objection on democratic grounds, but, but let that pass. I certainly wouldn't extend that, that rule. My disincentive as far as constituency members are concerned resigning from their seats is to require any constituency member to, to enter into a bond to serve the full three years as a condition of, of being declared elected to parliament. That bond wouldn't cover the cost of a by-election if a member did resign and that, that wouldn't be, really be its intention either but it would be a disincentive to the member and to the member's party who is backing the member for, for quitting but within the period of time of which they'd signed up by by being elected to Parliament in the first place. So in those ways, I would seek to send disincentives, as I say, to members and to, to parties from uh, resigning from Parliament before the uh, three-year term was up. In all cases, of course, I'd make an exception for members who needed to resign on health grounds. But that's pretty rare. In, in my experience with Parliament, I can think of only one member where health was an issue that caused the member to consider resigning. Uh, but, but of course, if, if a member on health grounds did need to quit the parliament, then there shouldn't be any impediment to that occurring. What about compassionate grounds, like you know, something to do with family? Well, that, one could 
possibly build that into a wider definition of what, what health was. In all cases, I think, where a member claimed to resign on health or compassionate grounds, if that was conceded as being a, a, a possibility for resigning, it would need to be proved to the satisfaction of the Speaker or the Electoral Commission, not just something that a, that a member ticks a box on and then, um, and then resigns. This is not in any way to, to penalise members. But this is to say that once one stands for election for three years, there ought to be a strong presumption that a member will see that term out. And it's not a, a status that should be just quit at, at the behest of the member, or more likely at the uh, promptings of the member's party. I think, I think a number of members have been effectively driven out of Parliament before the end of the three years because they've indicated an intention to resign at the next election. Uh, and their party wanted to bring a new, a new candidate in in order to blood that 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 person as a as a as a member for the next election. The flip side of fresh blood, the dead wood. So this is an opportunity to get rid of people who don't who haven't performed. I mean, do you yeah. do see people come in the next year? I think that I think the dead wood argument would be a good argument if we had a five-year or a seven-year term of parliament. But we have a three-year term of parliament, which is a short term of parliament internationally we turn members over at quite a considerable rate i think at the 1999 election just by 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 um, recollection some 40 percent of the membership of the parliament was new that's unhealthily high of course if if members lose their seats that's a consequence of the democratic process this is not a consequence of the democratic process quitting parliament before the three years are up in fact in a sense the electors have been misled They've elected somebody for three years and that person hasn't seen it through. Would you keep the provision whereby if someone resigns they can avoid a by-election if it's within a certain time period to a general election? Personally, I wouldn't, although I don't have any strong objections to the to the six-month rule. Uh, but in, in principle, as, as far as I see, uh, a, a constituency should be invited to return a new representative if, if, a member, if a member quits. I would hope that entering it into a bond to serve the three-year term would, would tend to persuade members and their parties that it wasn't prudent to, to leave before the three years were up. Finally, just going back to the point about service as opposed to career or vocation, do you think that Parliament is only reflecting society now and a change in society where the uh, upper echelon has to be able to move between different spheres. They go from being a chief executive of one thing to another or from parliament to a career in banking and that this is part of the modern economy, if you like. It, 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 may, it may be part of the modern economy and I may be being slightly uh, fuddy-duddy about my, my views of this, but I'm, I'm still quite unapologetic about feeling that one one signs up for for a three-year term of parliament, one should see that through. For a chief executive, three years is not an is not an unduly long period of time to serve. Why should it be seen as an unduly long period of time to serve for a member of parliament? The puzzling thing for me is that in these times, you think someone would want a job that was a lasting <laughs> three years and had a quite a good salary. What is it now? One hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand. Uh, well, I think one of the one of the reasons why uh, a number of members do resign from Parliament, and especially list members in the final year of the Parliament, is those members who have served in Cabinet and have then lost their Cabinet positions and then are faced with serving on the back bench for the remainder of the Parliament don't find that very attractive. Uh, personally, I've never had any sympathy with that position, but that's because I see I've 
in part of my career and my outlook is to look at being elected to parliament as being a service to the legislature not necessarily to the executive but I can understand the disappointment of members who've been in cabinet and then are as they see it condemned to the back benches for the last year of the parliament but that's a consequence of standing for election two or three years before that's what you signed up for see it through you try telling your merchant bankers <laughs> okay that's just great All thank right. you very much talking to me there the former clerk of the new zealand house of representatives from 1985 to 2007 david mcgee author of parliamentary practice in new zealand and recognized commonwealth authority on all things parliament and in 1994, the founder of these radio programs about Parliament, which may or may not be back next year, depending on whether Parliament and Radio New Zealand reverse their decision to give the contract to someone else. In the meantime, the last word in this program from the Speaker, David Cartham. Honourable Members, we have sat for a total of 535 hours this year. That would seem any amount to me and I have no intention of taking it along any further. Can I thank all members quite genuinely for their cooperation during the year? I think the members in this House have shown much more respect both for this institution and for each other when I compare it with last year and I want to acknowledge that and thank members for doing so. But I do recognise that when we come back next year 2017, it's election year, so I suspect a bit of more combative debate. Uh, that's part of our democracy, and I respect that. Can I join with all other members who have thanked the very people that make this place work? I won't repeat it, but uh, this place uh, is served by a very large number of people who make it work. My thanks to each and every one of them. Can I specifically acknowledge my presiding officers team? Chester, uh, Trevor and Lindsay. I think we work well as a team and I thank them for that. I want to just mention the two organisations for which I am the responsible minister, to the office of the clerk and particularly to you, David Wilson, as clerk, and to Raf Gonzalez-Montero as the deputy. The year, in my opinion, has gone very smoothly, helped, as we all know, by the glue in that office... Andy Leslie. To all who work for parliamentary service, and I want to also include in that obviously the electorate agents who are out there in various parts of the countries, sometimes working in quite isolated positions, they're the ones that field the questions from our constituents. They meet and assess their concerns, and uh, I just think they, many of them do a sterling job and they need to be mentioned because they make our job as members of parliament possible. My final specific thanks goes to my own office, Lisa Kinlock, Oliver Whitehead and Roland Todd. We're a pretty small team, but we have a lot of fun and most importantly, we get the job done. So to all members of parliament, enjoy your break. When we return in 2017, I suspect we'll be in election campaign mode from the very start. So to members, take the time to reconnect with family and friends. This lifestyle is not easy on family, we know that. So take a decent break. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and safe travels for those of you that are travelling. The question is, 
that the motion be agreed to. Those of that opinion will say aye. Aye. To the contrary, no. The motion is agreed to. The House stands adjourned to 2pm Tuesday the 7th of February. See you later. Santa baby, camping contributions under the tree. It's been an awful long year. Santa baby, sign up to Marty Party tonight. Santa baby, homes for all the homeless too will do. They're sick of sleeping rough, dear. Santa baby, treats for all the children too. Think of all the joy they've missed. Think of all the dinners they should never miss. Next year could be such a hoot if you tick the mighty party vote. Santa honey, ministerial spot, and that's not a lot. I've been an angel all year. Santa honey, sign up to mighty party tonight. There's more. Santa cutie, there's one more thing. Marty do need the deed to all the RFR land. Santa cutie, sign up to Marty party tonight. But wait, there's more. Santa baby, fill all the Marty seats with Marty party. Except for Uncle Honey. Santa baby, sign up for Marty party tonight. This time. Come and trim the Christmas tree With some decorations bought by Treasury I really do believe in you I'm sure Hobson's Pledge will believe in us too Santa baby, forgot to mention one little thing A ring, shopping list for coalition Santa baby, sign up to Marty Party tonight Sign up to Marty Party tonight. Sign up to Marty Party tonight. Merry